from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for October 27th, 2023. Check in the calendar, the Packers, who haven't won a game in a month, will host the Vikings this Sunday. And the Bucks have a couple of home games this week. The Atlanta Hawks are here Sunday, and Monday it's the Miami Heat. And today, October 27th, is National Beer Day, and it's also Cranky Coworkers Day. <laughs> there just has to be a way to celebrate both of those at one time. <laughs> A Georgia man was left dazed and confused after getting a $1.4 million speeding ticket. City officials say 1.4 mil was just a placeholder for a court appearance, not the actual fine. This sounds like an episode from the Dukes of Hazard. A Muncie, Indiana woman stole a car from a dealership, then she drove an hour and a half to a job interview in Indianapolis. The job opening was for an exotic dancer. Sure seems like a responsible employee. <laughs> In keeping with that theme, a Utah couple are in a jam because of their Halloween decorations. In their front yard, they have a bunch of skeletons watching another skeleton pole dance. The controversy <laughs> is not that the skeletons work in the pole. The problem is the pole is a flagpole. Here's a fun headline for you. Bees like marijuana. Okay, the wacky weed has proven very beneficial to the seriously declining bee populations. Pollinating bees are critical for continued life on the planet, and insecticides are bees' worst enemy. As luck would have it, marijuana plants don't require chemicals. Happy bees, happy planet. And our headline of the week, runaway tortoise was found five miles from home three and a half years later. <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast today, we have Steve Giles, Kendall Bauer, Joel Dresang, and wrapping up the week, Here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thanks, Max. Maybe a tougher week to laugh at. The NASDAQ down 2.6% this week, closing at the bell at 12,643. The S&P 500 down 2.5%, closing at 41.17. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 2.1% after a 367-point loss on Friday, down 710 points for the week, closing at the bell at 32.418 for the year. A slightly negative number on the Dow now, including dividends, total return of uh, negative... Uh, one half of 1%. The S&P 500, however, still meaningfully positive, up 8.6 for the year, and the NASDAQ up 21.6. You know, I think a meaningful uh, data point out this week, Joel, from third quarter GDP, uh, meaningful not only for the gross domestic product number itself, which was maybe a little more than what uh, I think a lot of uh, folks looking at the economy more broadly might have expected, in particular, you know, the layperson looking at the economy and going, well, things have been slowing a little bit. Maybe it's going to be a weak quarter. Uh, but then beyond that, a number of things buried in that report, I think, that give us some more information on some of the benchmarks we've been shooting for. Right. Yeah, it was a 4.9% uh, annual pace that, that we improved at for the economy in, in the summer months. And that's the, the best we've done since the end of 2021. So um, yeah, that was that was pretty remarkable. That's you know that's up from two point one percent the quarter before, um, and and uh, it surprised me. And I mean, it surprised a lot of the analysts who who make money on forecasting that sort of thing. One of the things that was impressive was you know we talk about that GDP mostly is run by consumer spending, and consumer spending was up four um, percent, and that's the most it's been up since 
that last quarter of 2021. And I think the the key there is, and I got this question from clients this afternoon, uh, if consumer confidence is as weak as it is or consumer sentiment is as, as weak as it, as it is, how are we still seeing this spending? And I think there's this dichotomy, and, and Bob Landis talked about it at the seminar, of uh, the politicization of some of those surveys. Well, yeah, the, the wider away from the current governing party that you are, the more you're going to feel like maybe you're not getting your way. And as consumers, that started to make its way into the way you answer those questions. And so it's why it's so important that we look not just at what people say as far as how they feel, but what they're ultimately doing. And so that, you know, 4% consumer spending increase at an annual pace, I think a pretty meaningful place to look. Right. Yeah. As, as Bob also points out that people say things and then they do something else. And Kendall actually pointed that out two weeks ago when we had the podcast, how, you know, a lot of people are complaining about um, consumer prices and, and, you know, how prices are high and and yet they keep spending money. We had more uh, spending news today. Uh, It's a a monthly survey uh, based on the same sorts of things that we have for the GDP report that looked at uh, consumer spending going up 0.7% in the month of September, which was, again, more than expected and, and um, more than the income that people were getting in. So they're, they're overspending, you know, what they're, they're bringing in. And in that one, they found that um, two things were driving it. People were spending both in goods and in services. The, go- the leading goods that they were buying were um, new cars. And the leading service they were buying were international trips. They were traveling a lot. So um, that's that's surprising considering the news that we've had on consumer sentiment, which, again, today, you know, went farther south. How much can you read into this data, Joel, on um, the median net worth climb 37% uh, for the average household from 2019 to 2022 when consumers see their 401k balances rebound after COVID, they see their house value rebound, uh, and this idea that, hey, I'm worth a lot of money, I I should be able to afford to continue spending. Yeah, there is that what they call the wealth effect, where you you feel that you're doing better, and despite, you know, maybe you didn't look at your... your, uh, your investment portfolio report for the latest for the latest quarter or, or the the latest month, but you see that the stock market generally has been up over time, and that you know your house value is probably bigger. And so, and and then there's you know what we've talked about before is the pent up demand for spending of of people who didn't want to spend during the the pandemic. Oh yeah, uh, gone is the uh, one week vacation. Now people are taking four one week vacations a year because uh, they can. Sure. Well, and I think some of that may be the wealth effect has an even even bigger impact now because there's more people that have entered the phase in life where wealth matters. It isn't about what you're making today. It's about what you've accumulated over the years, and that has a bigger impact on your spending in retirement than it does while you're still working. And so the labor numbers become a less important part of consumption, a less important part of the consumer story, perhaps, than than that net worth number does because more and more American citizens are counting on net worth rather than income. And I think maybe that speaks to some of the consumer sentiment as well, because they have this money and they're going out and they're seeing for hire signs everywhere. And they're going, well, yeah, but all the things I want to buy, I can't get today, whether it's that car, whether it's not enough people at the restaurant, so they can't get a table as quick as they hope. And maybe it's not that they're 
less interested in spending. Maybe it's just that the things they want to spend on are a little harder to attain right now, given some of those restraints. You know, Kendall, we've talked a lot about the economy. I think one of the things that uh, has continued to be a topic of conversation is the bond side of the portfolio. Um, and in particular, this idea that we've come through such a rough stretch, all kinds of ways to measure this, but basically the last two years, the worst in at least 100 for bond markets. Um, and again, depends on how you slice and dice it. But I'm sure you're getting that question of, oh, look at how poorly my bonds have done. Um, and I wonder what the answer is looking ahead, considering we've come through such a rough stretch. I think sometimes it's important to explain the magnitude of, you know, what the bond markets endured over the last 18 months to clients. You know, we as an economy, as a country, digested 500 basis points in rate hikes. Um, coming off of a decade of 0% interest rates, I mean, that is going to punch bonds right in the nose, and that's exactly what happened. Um, the good news are where I remain with um, – you know, a glass half full attitude is that we're, I think we're much closer to the end of this rate hike cycle, certainly than the beginning. Um, and I think our expectations for future bond returns have shifted up coming off of the last decade where they were much lower being in a 0% interest rate environment, meaning that, you know, I don't think moving forward, you're going to have to reach as much for more return like you may have the last decade by adding more stocks. Um, and it, it I always get a kick. It's like clockwork, and Kyle, you and I have talked about this, I think, on and off for years, is every few months we, we see another the 60-40 portfolios dead article. And there was just one in the Wall Street Journal last week. Um, interestingly enough, if you read through it and they're interviewing some portfolio managers and other people in the industry, they have the exact opposite take on it. It's, hey, we're more excited about the 60-40 portfolio now because of expected bond returns looking much better as we move forward. So, yeah, we've certainly seen a pretty big sell-off, you know, in the bond market the last few weeks, pushing yields higher. Um, but if you hang in there, you'll be rewarded over the long run, I think, is the message. And I love those headlines that the 60-40 portfolio is dead because I think it shows – uh, the difference between, you know, to your point, what the, the professional investors are actually saying within the article and what the takeaway is for the headline writer, um, because uh, that headline's going to sell papers, right? It's going to get people to click on that link, um, but there's a lot more nuance to it. And that nuance is, yes, the 60-40 portfolio looks different over the next 10 years than it did the last, but that difference isn't a bad thing. In fact, it may be a good thing. It may mean that the bond piece of the portfolio contributes more, that if we got 12% returns in stocks the last 10 years and 2% in bonds and you average that out, you get about 6% for a 60-40 portfolio. Well, we don't need 12% returns in stocks if we can get four or five on bonds. And that's where we are now is yeah, the math has changed. It always does, especially when you're talking about 10, 15, 20-year cycles. If anything, the math is more favorable going forward. And I think it's important also to point out that every single one of those articles, Kendall, that talks about the death of the 60-40 portfolio is back-tested. It's always a, a looking in the rearview mirror. Uh, you tell, I'll tell you what, you, you tell me how you invested, and I'll tell you if you did good or bad based upon what's happened in the last 10 years. Uh, so 
as we all know, successful money management involves positioning yourself based upon where we are headed, not where we have been. Well, and let's be clear that we don't get to look back and say this is what's going to come next, right? It's at the bottom of every prospectus and every investment statement is uh, that, that, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And so um, I do believe that the next 10 years look different and, and the how and the why are the key piece of that. You know, Stephen, in the midst of those uh, massive rate increases that Kendall was talking about, there's been this expectation that uh, we should be in recession at some point, right? That um, the Fed will potentially on purpose, but at least as part of the, the drawback of trying to slow uh, inflation, the Fed will cause this recession. And yet here we are. Um, really now two years into this Fed rate hike, rate hike cycle, but at least 18 months into kind of the meat of it, that recession still isn't here. No, it's not. And so I think the question is why? Uh, obviously, the consumer hasn't uh, disengaged. They continue to spend. Uh, the labor market continues to be strong. Uh, you've got low unemployment. And this all, of course, in the face of the Fed having raised rates. I think where economists got it wrong last year predicting that would be in, that we would be in a recession was that there was nothing to compare what we have gone through to um, our history of the markets. Yes, nine of the last 11 times the Fed has raised rate, it, it's led to some kind of recession or slowdown in the economy. Um, so I think when <clears throat> um, economists were trying to forecast where we're going to be, they were drawing off of that data. But what we didn't have in past rate increase environments was coming out of a lockdown because of a a pandemic. Not long, I shouldn't say a lockdown, a shutdown, (laughs) a closing of the economy. Uh, uh, you, You have to keep in mind that everybody who couldn't go out and do all the things they wanted to do during COVID had a burning desire to do that kind of stuff, which has kept consumer spending strong and kept people's uh, pocketbooks pocketbooks open. And Steve, let's not forget that during that time when there was a lockdown or shutdown or, or whatever you want to call it, um, the the government was stimulating spending. So so people were getting money to go out and spend, but they couldn't go out and spend. So we still have that happening. And the other thing that you mentioned is demographics. You know, we've got demographics like we've never had before. Um, and it's getting worse as far as, um, you know, being uh, employers being able to hire the numbers of people that they want to want to hire. And so that's going to help the labor situation. And that also stimulates the economy. It absolutely does. And, and you know, right, money talks. And if people are working and they have jobs and they have a steady paycheck, they're going to spend that money. And if 70 percent of our economy is driven by consumer spending, Right, we, we look at that 4.9% GDP number. It, it's people spending money. And we're entering into a holiday season now. Uh, it, there, are, there are some things that I think we have to be mindful of. I don't want to be too overly optimistic. I have to caution uh, investors that uh, credit card debt is starting to go back up. Uh, so you know, keep that in mind. As much as people had rebuilt their savings up or paid down their debt during covid Hey, well, we're, we're not slowing down our spending, but we're finding other means to spend, whether it's borrowing and, and having to figure out a way to pay for that later is one thing versus uh, spending down your savings but account. If, but if they're working, they've figured out a way to 
pay that debt back. So. Yeah, or if their house is worth a hundred grand more sure. and their 401k is more right. worth more, they're like, hey, I'm worth a lot more, mm-hmm. so I'll go, just go out and spend it. I think what's interesting in all this is that we've come now through about two months of some pretty rough performance in the stock market. Uh, what's important to note is that the early days of this recent stretch uh, were highlighted by weak performance in bonds as well. Um, but especially the last couple of weeks, uh, the bond market has shown some st- some signs that uh, when stocks are uh, are having a bad day, bonds aren't doing the same. Interest rates uh, down a little bit this week in a week that uh, bonds uh, you know make money when interest rates go down, uh, but in a week in which stocks were down, and that's a critical piece to kind of our approach to investing because it isn't just about okay, 10 years from now, is the 60-40 portfolio going to work? It's also, does that 40% provide some protection uh, in rougher markets like we're seeing? Um, One of the benefits of higher interest rates is that it does provide greater protection. It reduces the correlation with stocks. And so uh, on a go-forward basis, I think I I look at a week like this in which, you know, the S&P is down 2.5%, but the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury went from 492 to 485 and go, well, okay, bonds made a little money, stock lost, stocks lost a little more than a little money. Um, but net net, the direction is important. You know, I would like to quantify too here, um, Kyle, the, the uh, proverbial 60-40 portfolio. It is really just a starting point. Um, we have a lot of clients who might have uh, an allocation closer to 50-50 or, or maybe 70-30. Uh, heck, I think about my grandfather, whose idea of a good time was putting all his money in bonds. But keep in mind, in the 80s, when bonds were paying 8 9 10%, and he just had to take out his four, that's a no-brainer. Uh, he, he wanted nothing to do with stocks because all it gave him was volatility. Well, those times have changed because yields have gone down. And who's to say that in 10 years from now, maybe the Fed does keep raising rates, and maybe we all want to have 60% of our money in bonds because we can get 8% from that fixed income product, we don't know. I think the message here is that whatever allocation you pick, whatever plan you pick, it has to be flexible. You can't just set it and forget it. Yeah, I think that uh, that forward-looking, where are we headed, is the key to kind of understanding what's the right mix for you. And that's not the same for any one person, any one day, any one hour. So, um, yeah, absolutely being flexible is key. Uh, one reminder that the video from our September seminar is now available. Uh, you can get to it from our website uh, and click through the YouTube uh, channel that uh, that has that and all the other videos we've ever produced, which I think are uh, a nice library of, uh, of information on just a variety of topics. Um, but please feel free to check that out, forward to somebody you think might benefit from some of our insights. Um, most importantly, we enjoy doing the program for you. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk@landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com.